Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by We Are One Composites and there's a discount code coming right up. If you're in the market for a set of carbon wheels, then I can personally recommend We Are One Composites. I've been using their wheels for over three years now and I have had zero issues. The quality and the attention to detail is incredible and they ride just as good as they look. We Are One recently launched their first bike too. The arrival is a 150mm 29er Enduro weapon and you can tell that We Are One have put their usual level of attention to detail into making sure this thing is perfect. There's some lovely design touches and the quality of the finish is next level just like it is with the wheels. Head over to weareonecomposites.com now and give it all a look. Because of the crazy demand for bike stuff in general, and particularly for We Are One's wheels, we can't offer a discount on complete wheel sets right now. But the team at We Are One really wanted to do something for downtime listeners, so they are offering you 15% off rims only during the month of August. All you need to do is to use the code WESUPPLY2021 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, all lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over on weareonecomposites.com. Head there now and check out the entire range. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Downtime EP is getting really close to launch. If you don't already know about it, then it's a brand new print project that I'm working on with Misspent Summers, the team behind Hurley Burley, the World Stage Book and Meltdown. If you want to get involved, find out more and get the chance to get your hands on issue one ahead of everyone else with a nice early bird deal too, then head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP now and leave us your name and your email address and we'll be in touch really soon. If you want to support the show, you can get your hands on our full range of merch over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. As always, it's top quality, it's organic, it's made in a factory that uses renewable energy and it's delivered to you with no single-use plastics. Head over there now and check it all out. All the proceeds help support and improve the show. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe. So hit that. It's free and it means you'll never miss an episode. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where I've got links for you to all the major platforms to help. Also, if you've got a sec, please give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's going to be the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and to join in the conversation. All right, folks, after a short break, we're back World Cup racing again, and Maribor certainly didn't disappoint. As ever, I'm joined by Elliot Jackson and Nico Malali to get behind the scenes and dig into the detail of what went on. So, without further ado, here's Elliot and Nico. All right, Maribor is wrapped up. It was another super exciting race, uh, some slightly different conditions to what we've had for the last uh, couple of years. But as ever, joined by Elliot Jackson and Nico Malali to chat all about it. Elliot, we'll start with you. How's things? Yeah, it was good. Man, we haven't had a uh, dry race in, I can't even remember when. Like it, it seems like it goes, it goes in like, you know, two or three year cycles where it'll just be dry forever and then it'll be wet forever and um it's been wet so having maribor be dry it was crazy hot i don't think i stopped sweating all weekend but it was i think it was welcome change yeah hopefully that bodes well for the rest of the season and nico how about you you had a you had a big old crash in your race run and uh, i think you're feeling fairly battered yeah yeah i'm hanging in there i uh i was pretty lucky to walk away from that one it was a huge crash but uh, yeah, traveled to um, Morzine yesterday and going to try to just 
I was planning to ride and train all week, but going to try to just recover and got a bunch of bruises, kind of feel like I got hit by a car. So I'm going to just <laughs> chill out and try to get back and feeling good again for Worlds. Yeah. Tell us a little bit just about that crash we were talking about briefly before we before we hit record, but it was a bit of a strange one, eh? Yeah, it was, um, man, I don't know if it was like, I wouldn't call it a lapse of concentration because I, I what I did, I, I fully committed to doing. Um, there was a little rhythm section at the top. I think most people listening have watched the the race show, but there was a first two turns and then a roller into a gap jump. And for some reason, I pulled up off the roller to go like two, one instead of one, two and like 50, 50, the lip and went into the gap. And I don't know. I was like, it it wasn't like I was going too fast and got loose and, or messed up the turn. It was like, I was focused as I could be. I was, um, like in a race run, sometimes your body is just reacting to things without your, your mind processing it. And my body just pulled up off the lip. So I got to figure something out because that was, that was really dangerous and I'm super lucky to walk away. I was pretty hard on myself because I could have, I could have got seriously hurt. If you, if you would like be there and look at what I did, like you would never want to try to do something like that. So got to, uh, make sure that doesn't happen again. I was, it was kind of like what, um, Thibaut Daprilla did in Leo gang when he, pulled up off the wrong rhythm on that motorway like sometimes you're just in the race run and in the moment and you're you're, everything's going by so quick that you just do the wrong thing and and on a jump like that it's like it's not a place that you want to do it sometimes like in the roots or rocks you can just it buffs out but on a big jump it's it's not a place to do something like that so yeah lucky to be okay from it yeah glad you're okay man and uh yeah strange how things happen sometimes but yeah good to see you uh flying you came off the back of a win at home at nationals and must have been feeling pretty good yeah yeah i i had some good momentum going from some u.s races i did over the over the month off and um that last national i did in the u.s was super dry and dusty as well so it was kind of a good prep race for this and i was just looking forward to get some momentum going again and um yeah just a bummer but uh that's downhill racing sometimes Sometimes when everything's going right, it seems like it's so easy. And sometimes it seems like impossible to do the right thing. So, um, but that makes the good, the good results even sweeter. So get it back going. Yeah, definitely, man. Let's talk a little bit about the track first. Elliot, give us uh, your thoughts on it. Cause you spent a lot of, a lot of time on the hill doing all the work for, for Red Bull and watching the riders. What, what did you think to the track this year? Cause it was, there's quite a few changes. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it was interesting because at the beginning of the weekend, um, the track was, it was similar. Um, it kind of, let's see, I'm trying to think of how far back to go. <laughs> and so there was, it was interesting here because you could have potentially ridden the track three weeks in a row where there was an access cup uh, that was super wet and muddy. And then you had European championships um, and then you had the world cup. So there was kind of like a lot of talk around one of the things we focused on for um, practice day was like, how much is too much. Um, And on a track like this, especially when it's dry, you don't, you can't ride that much, you know, talk to Loris and he was kind of like, well, after 
I mean, he did ride European champs, but he was like, you know, after two or three runs, you're up to speed. And after that, it's kind of like finding details. And you talk to the other riders and it's like, yeah, you can't ride a World Cup track at World Cup finals pace, you know, um, that long because you just die. <laughs> so um, on practice day, it seemed like a lot of people were trying to like kind of find rhythms. Um, and because this track is so unique in that it's kind of like a pump track all the way down. And throughout the rest of the rest of the week, I think the speeds kind of increased and you couldn't really do that anymore. And it got so rough as well. Like a lot of the rhythms that you would normally do were just breaking bumps and, and roots and stuff like that. So I think it got like kind of rougher throughout the week. But then the other thing that was really interesting was the top and the bottom were almost like two different tracks where the top, it really paid off to kind of push your breaking points um, and YOLO a bit. And, and then at the bottom, which was like after the road, it was the opposite. And you saw like so many people make mistakes, like men and women, where they would come into these turns, kind of reminded me a little bit of, of Leo Gang, where you had these turns where you couldn't pedal afterward um, and you couldn't really pump, but if you messed them up, you were just going slow. So it would be like a turn into a slightly flatter section. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we saw like Greg mess them up. We saw um, Cami Belange mess them up. And I think it was kind of a hard mindset shift to make where at the top, it was like all about just going as fast as you could. And then you had to totally switch to then be really precise and really nail your breaking points and think about like, you know, letting off the brakes and rolling through these turns. So is it, it the changing a, gradient that's driving that? Like at the top, it's a bit steeper so you can get away with a mistake a bit more. Or is it the style of the track? I think it's kind of the style of the track. Like it, it feels like the track kind of gets faster as it goes, goes down. Um, but there's just these turns that are, and I think the bottom as well, I gotten ridden a lot more uh, from like all of the races and like even from uh, years past, like a lot of the turns were the same. So you just had these holes that were just huge, like even first day in practice, they were huge. So they just got bigger and bigger. And the other thing about it, too, was a lot of riders tried to start going inside the holes, um, but you actually just needed to dive into them like on the men's replay you could kind of see the um that little i don't know what you call it like the the gap meter or whatever and Mm -hmm. every time somebody would try to go inside of a hole they would lose time uh, because you really just needed you needed that support even though it felt really bad so yeah it was it was a really tricky track uh but super super fun to watch yeah nico is it a, a track with much line choice i mean we did see a few riders taking slightly different approaches in some sections but is it is it mostly a one line kind of thing what's going on there yeah the way it was laid out this year i'd say it was it was pretty one line and and the condition as well when it's so fast and dry sometimes you come into a section with so much speed that it's hard to be creative you have to slow down too much to get off the main line but it was it was kind of cool how they had changed the track from what we raced in years past, or I think mainly because we had the 
the IXS Cup and the European Championship on the track the past two weeks. They wanted to do something different for the World Cup, and they did. They did. The track was probably ninety percent different, which was super cool. Um, and, and it's something I wish that more tracks would do. They didn't put a ton of work in. They just taped it a, a trail width to the side here and there, and and put it on fresh dirt. So that was just cool, and it made the surface soft and cut up and get bigger holes and um, and then. It, it was kind of difficult to ride because you would go from a, a surface that was soft and, and fresh to something that was hard packed. And you kind of cross between that the whole way down the track where like you'd hit one turn that was the same from um, all three races that they just had because it was a, a place they couldn't go outside the track and then back into a soft section. So this the, the surface of the ground would, would change as you went and and that made it difficult. Um but yeah, it was, it was super cool. And, and as Elliot said, those holes were so big. I think there was a section like maybe split f- three to four. That was like, the, it was all the same as the, the past three races they've run in the past two or three years we've raced here. So that section had the deepest holes and it was just so rough. And, um, I don't know. It's, that's kind of like, that's downhill racing. Like some riders, I don't think liked it. They were complaining that it was too rough. Like shouldn't have had all these races on the same track which yeah maybe but you want to you don't want to ride stuff like that and like maybe you sign up for the wrong thing like that's a downhill <laughs> world cup fair comment well yeah talk, let's talk a bit about bike setup then nico because obviously you know high speed lots of compressions big holes but you also especially in those conditions are looking for grip i guess so some level of sort of suppleness and and speed in the in the suspension to keep the tires in contact with the ground but let's start off first before we talk about the detail of the suspension on bike choice because you i think rode and raced the m29 rather than the the mixed wheel size bike that you've been using a lot the rest of the season what was the the thinking there yeah so there's a bunch of factors at play i guess but i um i sent my my prototype bikes back to intense during the break to get repaired they're all like homemade and they're everything's pretty um specific to them so um they just wanted to check all the bikes and um i sent them back and and just got them back from Erebor. so i'd been riding the m29 which was my plan all along i wanted to get those bikes back to them so they could um make sure they were good for the rest of the season i only have two frames that are my size and i didn't want to get into a situation where um they weren't in good shape for the end of the season. So I, I wanted to race the M29 at the national champs and the couple national rounds I did at home anyway. So it was a good time to send the bikes back and ride the M29. And I just got them back from Maribor. So since I'd been riding the M29 anyway, and, and Maribor doesn't have like as many steep sections or, or places like where you go off of a ledge um, and need to get really low to the bike, that I thought the M29 was fine on that track. I've raced there a couple of times and um, the two bikes are pretty similar in the way that the suspension works. It's just really having a smaller rear wheel gives you a little more clearance and, and maybe turns a little better. But since it was so fast and and I didn't feel like the clearance was a huge issue on Maribor, I thought I've been riding this bike for the past couple of weeks, had a couple of good results on it. Like I'll just ride it again this weekend and then, um, for Val de Sol, I definitely want to ride the prototype bike. That's one where I think the clearance would help a lot being able to get low to the back of the bike. It's a little bit steeper and like, even though it's not maybe the steepest track, 
it has like ledges into steep sections where getting low to the back would be really important. So my plan was to, um, yeah, just build up my proto bike and we actually got a couple new ones as well, um, for worlds and, and get used to it again this week before, um, before worlds ride it in Morzine a little bit. But, um, yeah, that was pretty much the reason why I rode that in 29. I was just comfortable on it and didn't want to change something right before the race. Yeah, makes sense. And what about suspension then? How are you how are you approaching that? Yeah, I, I went a little bit stiffer than um than I was. I went like uh another volume spacer in my fork, added a maybe one or two PSI. And um shock I pretty much kept the same. I think I went maybe a click or two. But uh the big change was more because it was so hot. I I uh, closed my low speed rebound a little bit just because the oil was working at a higher ambient temperature. So um, it's going to feel faster, even though it's uh, the same setting. So that was something that I think a lot of people had to maybe adjust for was racing in a temperature that was 30 degrees warmer than the last race. Is that um, that kind of change in ambient temperature noticeable, like, top to bottom with the shock rather because obviously the shock oil is going to heat up as you're riding and putting heat through the unit that way is it are you making that adjustment purely for the sort of top part of the track while the shock's heating up or or do you think the ambient temperature overrides the the natural temperature increase in the shock oil as you go down the trail does that make sense yeah i think once the shock's working it's still working in the same range it's just you're starting at a point where the oil's thinner. So um, whether you want to go a little bit stiffer on your low-speed compression or um, for me, it's more the rebound that feels fast when it's hot. Um, I just try to get like my my setting, I guess my bounce test or um, as it feels when it's when you, when you're just starting out to feel like in the range that I am used to it. And then mm-hmm. there it'll it'll heat up at the same rate as it normally would. It's just you're starting at a little bit of a thinner oil than you normally would. Yeah. Okay. Interesting stuff. Was there much puzzling going on, Elliot? I know um, I saw that Thibaut Deprella raced qualies on his data bike, which is pretty unusual to to be looking at data, I guess, and and looking to make changes that that late on in a race week. Were people struggling? Um. I was talking to Jordy about it. I think it was um, one of those things, like I was saying, where you had to get used to it being so rough, like Leger, because it was wet and soft. I don't think, you know, obviously I wasn't out there, but I don't think it like felt that rough, right? Like there were sections that were, um, that were rough, obviously. And it was, it was super gnarly. But then when you go from a track like that, uh, especially when the dirt is soft and it has a little bit more give, when you go from a track like that to a track like this, it just is way rougher. Um, so if you weren't used to riding in the dry, weren't used to riding stuff like this, I know a lot of riders went to Morzine. Um, so I'm sure that that was like a good kind of transition. Uh, but it just is a totally different feeling on the bike where you're just getting rattled around, uh, especially to here. Um there's bloody can you hear that i can hear something what's going on ah okay i don't know what it is 
Sorry. Um, <laughs> Something going on outside Elliot's room. <laughs> if you can't hear it, I'll, I'll continue. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be all um, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this this track with all of the rollers, it was kind of like the, the two things you were probably thinking of were how do I deal with the braking bumps? And then how do I make sure my bike isn't like popping me off trail mm-hmm. uh, and like out of line, I think, because there were so many compressions. But I definitely did see <laughs> the normal, you know, Greg was in, in the Fox tent. Um, I think Cammy was in the Fox tent a lot. I, I don't know if it was kind of a, something clicked where she was really trying to get her bike set up, figured out. Uh, and then right before time practice, she she seemed to get it. And yeah, it was just, yeah, after that kind of uh, was was good. Yeah, interesting. Did you see many uh, interesting strategies on dealing with the heat out there, Elliot? I saw, um, saw footage on the live feed of Greg Minar carrying a cool box to the top of the track, which I assume is just full of beers. I don't know. But um, <laughs> like, obviously the heat was a big part of the week. Are, are people doing anything interesting like cooling vests and all sorts of stuff going on or definitely people had cooling vests um you know cold towels uh, lots of water uh and you didn't see people kind of out a lot right like everyone had fans in their pits and so you it wasn't one of those races where everyone was just kind of like cruising around the pits and things like that i think it was you had to be pretty deliberate around going up doing a run and then coming back to cool down because it's it's one thing, and it's interesting to think about because, and maybe Nico, you could speak to this, but like this track was really physical. Uh, and so if you didn't think about, you know, throughout the week, like, am I going to be able to have the energy uh, on Sunday to be able to do this? But like, I don't know, Nico, like, what do you, what do you think it is about this track that was, that made it so physical? Yeah, it was interesting because sometimes some of the most physical tracks you don't really take a pedal stroke on. And this one was like that this year. Like you could pedal on that section after the rock garden and then maybe one or two pedal strokes in in out of a turn near the bottom. But really you didn't pedal at all. It was just really fast. The like like you were saying, Elliot, the the natural terrain is is really rolling. There's like a bunch of compressions just out of the dirt and um and that's at a speed that we're riding it you you can't like necessarily pump them all and get good backsides you're, they're almost like whoops like you're just or moguls on skis like you're just smashing into them and getting bounced off the other side and trying to hit that as quick as you can without getting bounced the wrong way so it's it ends up being like a pretty powerful move to hit each one of those and um and going down the whole track it's like you're skiing moguls for three minutes so it's it's pretty physical um and then with the dust too it it was it was i think it was difficult for everyone to um to to concentrate because it's so the light changed a lot um as you went from the ski slope section into the woods it would go light to dark so drastically it was hard to see everything you were hitting Uh, and then the dust lingering during practice as well it was like is also pretty tough so it was like a combination of like being concentrated for that period of time and not necessarily being able to see what you're what you're hitting perfectly and then just how fast and and powerful you'd have to hit those bumps 
And then those sections near the bottom that we said were like worn out from the past couple of races, they were just, they were just brutal. Like it felt so rough for that, that like last minute of track. It was just harsh feeling on the hands and everything. So yeah, pretty physical. And, and then with the heat, like, I think you just had to be like Elliot said, deliberate with what you were doing. I think I did maybe less practice runs than I, than I would have. It would have been nice to go maybe do another one or two. But um, I kept it on the short side just to conserve energy. And it was nice. We had a little kiddie pool back at the pit that I chilled in after after practice and kind of between runs. And that helped a lot to like lay in that thing and just lay in some cold water. Um, and then just warming up, like I tried to keep it light. Like I didn't, didn't do any sprints or anything to warm up. I just kind of spun easy. Um, I was already warm. It was just kind of getting um, the legs moving and stuff and trying to take it on the easier side than harder side, I think was going to be helpful in that situation. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, a lot of riders took some big slams this week. So wishing everyone that went down a, a speedy recovery, but why do you think it was taking so many people out at it? It was, it seemed to be an unusually high casualty rate. Is it, is it just cause the ground was so hard that if you went down, it was gonna do some damage or is there something else going on? I don't know. I was trying to figure this out like all week. It was like talking to people and, you know, asking people about it. And I, I don't know. The thing that I can kind of come up with is just that when you, you know, compared to a track like Leger, like everyone, a lot of people crash in Leger, uh, but it wasn't the ground, like wasn't that hard. And you kind of, yeah, maybe like the consequences weren't weren't as high for a crash. You know, the Tani Tani and, and Bernard Kerr, they crashed on one of the easiest parts of the track where there was I'm not sure if it was on the live feed, but there was a open bit right in the middle where it's two flat turns. And Bernard said he just like, you know, was pushing a little bit harder, slid out, and it was just super hard ground like it's and i and i think that that kind of stuff can happen where like dean lucas's crash as well um crashed in like the fastest turn on the track the left hander before you come out of the woods his tire just rolled off the front tire like rolled off the rim and um yeah had this like huge crash luckily he was okay but um yeah i, I think it was like the consequences to having one of those mistakes were super high and then the likelihood that you were going to have a mistake was was also really high because you're going so fast. And then the track was kind of difficult to, especially at the top, it was difficult to see like what could hold you. Because like Nico was saying, there was so much dust and stuff like that. You would see this edge that you think you could push into or something like that, and it would just go away. Uh, and um, kind of like saw that on the live feed, like, all right, I don't know if people could see Connor or Fearns run, but you could just get out of shape so easy because there was so much to the track where it was going left, right. There were bumps. And so if you got kind of out of shape on one bit, you know, Connor just swapped out. And the next thing you know, he's huge crash. So I don't necessarily think that the track was, um, you know, we talked about tracks being like too fast or too dangerous or anything like that, but I think it was just one of those tracks that was just super punishing. Uh, and 
it was dry um, and and super rough. So it was kind of like all of these things coming into coming into one. I think that it was just a fast average speed, not too fast, but because it was dry, it was running quick. And in that condition where it's like dry and loose, the edge is like very fine. Like when you push and and make a mistake, it happens so quickly that you lose grip. Whereas like in the mud, it's, it's more consistent and you can kind of feel that you're sliding and, and, um, you can kind of feel it out a little bit more, but the edge of, of losing grip happens so quickly in conditions like that, that before you know it, you can be on your head. And that's what I think caught a couple of these riders out. Interesting. Yeah. And we'll move on to the, the racing and we don't really cover the junior racing in too much uh, detail and there's no live feed coverage of it, which is a shame. Maybe one day that will change. Um, but yeah, I guess a big shout out to, to Phoebe Gale and Jackson Goldston, both taking the wins there after pretty big crashes in the lead up to the race. I think I didn't see Phoebe's, but I saw Jackson went down in the rocks and it looked horrible. I don't even know how he was walking, let alone racing and taking a win. So yeah, pretty impressive. Hey, Elliot? Yeah. 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 For sure. Like it, I, I mean, I love that Jackson is racing, right? Like that he, he could have gone in so many different directions with his career and for him to be racing and doing well and winning world cups. And uh, I think the there's a stark contrast between like him and Finn, where Finn was on LaPierre um, when he was whatever, 14, 15, training, doing the World Cups, going around with the team, like pre-running races, like all of these things. And and uh, Jackson obviously has a team and has good, good support, but he's it's not like he's on, you know, a Specialized or a Canyon or something like that. So I, I think it's it's cool to see like he's really down to earth um and didn't have to be (laughs) he's been famous since he was like literally two years old so i think um the approach that they're they're taking and um like the humbleness that he has is is really cool and and same for phoebe like it's great to see her um kind of like coming into their own because junior women's category is definitely no slouch anymore yeah, yeah, they're both pack categories, aren't they? Some seriously talented riders. It's an exciting future for the sport there, definitely. Let's uh, let's talk about the elite women's race. Um, and Pompom, Miriam Nicole took the win, still riding with that aggression. She doesn't seem to have changed anything. She's trusting the process and just going for it. And it, that aggression's finally paid off, huh? It was, a, it was really cool to see. Yeah, I'm so happy that she won. I... Um... I, I feel like she's had this great mindset for the maybe just, you know, since last year, like coming back from injury and all of these things, but I've done like a lot of podcasts and interviews and things like that with her over the past year or so. And she just seems to have the mindset piece kind of figured out like for her. And I think when you do that, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to automatically go and just crush everyone and have a perfect season or win a bunch of races. But it's um, it's sustainable um, because when you don't have the mindset piece figured out, but you have the speed piece figured out, you have those like kind of flashes in the pan where you can win a race and then the next race you don't really have it. And then, you know, you come back or whatever. So yeah, I think it's good to see that whole process kind of paying off because it's, it's been a long um, kind of from behind the scenes. It's been, she's been working really hard on it. 
And uh, yeah, and same for Eleonora. Like she in the pits, you just just the nicest person ever, right? Like she's super bubbly, always in a good mood. Uh, and she was riding really well. Like, I think it's good for her, like coming into world champs, uh, in her home, home country, just, um, to have that sort of confidence because there is a pretty clear line that people think of when they think of the women, you know, you have these like top women with like Camille now and Miriam and Tani and for writers like Eleanor and, and Monica Hrasnik to like start mixing it up and blur that line a bit, I think is really good for their confidence. Uh, we saw like Nina Hoffman do that last year, which was, which was great. And then um, this race, I think for, for Cami was just like survival. Like every, she actually said like, you know, this was the race for me that I wanted to kind of just get through because she hated the track, um, was kind of struggling a little bit. Like we talked about with the bike setup and stuff like that. So it was good for her to prove to herself and, and everyone else. I think that she could ride a dry track and not just wet because it, it's kind of like, she's been ticking off these, these excuses that people have had, whereas like worlds was like, Oh, everyone crashed. And then it was like, Oh, well you're only good in the, in the wet. And now it's like, no, like, I mean, this is kind of the last one. Like, no, I'm just good everywhere kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, she's just a, an amazing rider. So it's really, really good to see. Yeah, good. a good run on damage limitation is the mark of a champion, I think. I mean, we saw it with, with Loic Bruni at Fort William after that huge crash in, in practice where he ended up, I think, taking sixth and keeping his title hopes alive. And, yeah, third place on your on your bad day is, uh, is pretty good, eh? Yeah. And then let, let's talk a little bit about Valley Hole, Nico. I mean, she qualified fastest, so the pace is is clearly there. Um, it must be a little boost to her confidence, but I think she said herself on social media afterwards she she didn't ride aggressively enough. She didn't actually go faster than a qualifying time. She was a little bit off that. How How hard is it for a rider to kind of, uh, coming into elite field, to get their head around how to deliver on a race run because the pace is clearly there huh yeah it's it's really tough and um it's like you can be riding fast and to do it in the final run is another thing i think it's tough to sometimes go faster as well like if you have a good quality especially in conditions like this the track is getting more difficult breaking down the holes are getting bigger turns are blowing out and uh and everybody's trying to figure out how to go faster on a worse track so that can be difficult to do as well. And it's, um, yes, it's just tough to find that edge. Like she could have also gone faster and, and made mistakes or crashed and that would have put her back. And I think she maybe just was on slightly the other side where she was maybe a little bit too conservative and didn't quite push it hard enough. Um, racing these days is so tight. We always say it, but it's, if you're, if you're not hitting it right on the head where you're, able to execute everything perfectly and ride it at the max speed then you're either going to be make a mistake and too slow or too conservative and too slow and yeah it's uh it's super tough it's a tough thing to figure out yeah and it's super interesting for me i um every time after the race like i hear people being like ah like bali was frustrated or something like that and it always trips me out that and I don't know if this is like a 
men and women thing, but like, I don't under, I don't know why people complain about her being mad that she lost the race. <laughs> like, like this is what you do. You train like your whole life. You, you put in so much time and, you know, for people to come across the line and, you know, if, if she was not frustrated, it's like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah. I just worked super hard and now I, um, yeah, it's all good. You know, should we just hang out and have a good time? Or <laughs> yeah. It's okay to be upset about it. Right. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that, and she's just really competitive. Like, like she is super nice, super friendly, like friends with everyone. Um, but I think when you, when she, when it's time to compete, like she wants to win. And I think that she is the most competitive with herself, right? Like, it's not like she is, I think there's like two types of competitiveness. Um, one is like less, less healthy, which is, you know, if I was like, Hey, I want to beat Nico at all cost. And if I beat Nico, then it's great. And if I don't, then, um, then I'm, I'm furious. And the other one is kind of like, I am competitive with myself. I know what I can do and it's up to me to perform. And uh, that's, that's kind of much more healthy because whether or not you, it's all about how you execute where you can have a good run and not win, you can still be happy kind of thing. But as she was saying, like she knew that she didn't have a good run when she went across the line. It's not like she did one of those things where she, um, you know, came across the line, she was happy. And then she looked back and she was like, Oh, you know? So yeah, I think for, for her, she's, uh, just really competitive. And I, I hope that people kind of understand how much work that the athletes kind of put in and, and what this means. Like it's your, has to be your whole life and you're not going to be stoked <laughs> having bad runs. Yeah. Fair comment. There's a, a couple of standout results as well in the women's that I wanted to mention, I think Millie Johnson in seventh there, she seems to be kind of maybe getting over some of her, she, she had a lot of crashes, maybe a lack of consistency early on in her elite career. That seems to be coming together. She seems to be getting into a really good, uh, a good role with things. And then Jess blew it as well. I mean, incredible free rider, super talented on a bike, um, getting stuck into the elite field this year. And, and an eighth place is a, is a really solid result like she's starting to progress up the ranks too so there's some some more women coming through that are, are going to start challenging this this podium chunk of riders i think in the near future too cool right men's race let's move on to that um first interesting thing i noticed top four riders in quality were exactly the same top four in the race that's pretty unusual huh yeah I, I feel like, uh, man, so the whole, the whole weekend was, was crazy because you had these different kind of personalities. Like it was, it was kind of like Loris was just riding perfect. And this was a track where it was really difficult to do that. And then you had on the totally opposite side, you had Tebow who was, just going to push like crazy. And then you had Laurie like talking to him uh, and he was like, yeah, like I feel out of all the people, like he was the only one that was like, yeah, for me, like this isn't such a super physical track. And it reminds me of a flatter version of a drive out of soul almost in some ways. Um, 
And he's just so good at just letting the bike work, like not getting too excited on that stuff. But we had so many different kind of, um, I don't know, approaches to this track. It was like super cool to see and super cool to see how all of it was viable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, let's talk about Loris. From from the outside looking in, from all the coverage that I've seen over the last week, it felt like Loris had it won before he even turned up. Like, he just seemed to be super confident, super quick, ready to go from the very start of the week to all the way to the end. Didn't even feel the need to pedal in those bottom turns. Still won the final sector by nearly half a second. It, I mean, that was a bit of a masterclass that it feels like we've been waiting all season for. The promise was there, but it hasn't quite come together with with maybe luck not going his way. What what were your thoughts on that, Nico, being there and, and, and being a part of it? Did you did you feel the same way? Yeah, just watching Loris ride, like he was so confident in what he could do. I think he was comfortable in those conditions and um yeah, it just looked like he was his bike was working out there. I think in situations like this where it gets really rough and fast, Loris is so good at being light on his feet and light on the bike where those big compressions don't upset him as much. And in those braking bumps, he's able to stay smoother and more composed and can just keep the tires like lighter to the ground. Whereas you see some other guys that are coming in, braking late and pushing hard. Like you can, you can hear the bike and you can see the bike getting unsettled and Loris can just make it look super easy. I think that's, that's like his superpower is he's so good at that. And this track, I think just suited that style really well. And, um, yeah, I think he just felt like he knew he could do a good run and, um, just wanted to do a good one. Like he had some bad luck earlier this season, blew the tire off at Leo gang, which was kind of out of his control. It wasn't a mistake that caused that. And then, um, just the rain and Leger couldn't, couldn't put down a run. So I think he just wanted to just have a good one. And I think, yeah, he totally did that. He, he crushed it watching the race too, seeing how tight the times were coming down. And then for Lars to put a winning margin like that, like that was super impressive to, to set himself apart that much. And one of the people too, that I wanted to give a shout out to is uh Benoit Coulange. Like he was just, he's, he's on fire. Like he's just riding so, so well. And that bottom split, I don't know what he did, but and I didn't, I didn't look, didn't look to see if, if he actually won it, but I feel like he probably won, um, won the bottom. I was talking to Emily Siegenthaler and, uh, apparently he was saying that, uh, he's like, I don't think you should, I should touch the brakes from, there was like a gap jump in the woods right before you kind of came out. So he's like, okay, I'm not going to touch the brakes all the way from there, from there all the way to the finish. And it's just like a crazy thing to think about. Um, like there's a lot of stuff going on there. And there's like a couple of like that left-hander before you come out of the woods, um, those flat turns, like all of that stuff is just, um, is crazy. And to, to think like, okay, like here is my last breaking point for the whole track. And it's not really... You know, there's a lot of stuff um, to go from there. <laughs> yeah, super committed riding. And talking about committed, Greg Minna, I mean, you never, you can never bet against this man, can you? Any, any 
any track, any time, any conditions, he's always a threat. Out 39 now, still going, fourth place. That's incredible, hey? Yeah. I, I, I feel like um, he is one of the riders, too, that has these, like, sneaky lines. Like, he, um, into the rock garden, he did this line that was, he was able to come off. There was, like, a big rise that people were kind of launching off, and everyone was going way left. Uh, and then to get set up to go right in the rock garden, carry speed. So it was super important to carry a lot of speed down that left-hander uh, onto the pedal. And so for him, he jumped, went way far right. Uh, so he shaved off a bunch of time, dropped down into the gully where people were normally going um, over the kind of rocks, over those two, two uh, drops, I guess, in the rock garden. He dropped into there, kind of used the edge to turn, and then went around. And, uh, you know, it was the fastest line. And so for, for him to find those types of things, it was kind of like, uh, like that experience showing and like, I don't know, it was, it was amazing. And I, I think one of the things that was maybe a little bit uncharacteristic was I thought for sure he was going to crush everyone in the bottom because, you know, I kind of talked about where you had to be really precise in your breaking points, but he definitely did make a little, a couple of little mistakes there, like breaking a little bit too late or you know whatever it was but he got kind of stood up in a couple of those turns uh which cost him a little bit of time but man he's uh i, I feel like it's it's between him and tivo almost for the overall which is uh pretty incredible yeah it is it's mad to think the one end of the spectrum to the other age-wise they're still competing which is which is cool and then laurie greenland finding the form that I think has been there all season, but just hasn't quite come together. That run looks um, looked pretty calm, pretty composed. I think he said on the, on the, not on the podium, but like on the flower ceremony thing afterwards that he felt it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty calm and controlled run. That makes him a danger man coming into Val de Sol, a track where he always goes well. Hey, Nico. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, like Elliot said, the conditions were similar. It was almost like a flat, Valdezol. So to see him get a result like that and and not feel like he was pushing as I mean out of control like some of these other guys were. For sure, he's going to be a danger man. He won, he won there. Was it the last time we raced there? And um, he's he's got on the podium at Worlds there as well. He was second in 2016. His, I think it was his first year elite. So he's got a good history at that track. And I know he doesn't want anything else than to win. So I think he'll be danger man for sure. Yeah, and uh, a couple of uh, impressive results from some of your US colleagues there, Nico. I mean, Luca, back to to form that I guess we kind of saw uh, oh maybe three years ago now, where he was you know on top in qualities, never quite put that race run together, and has sort of struggled to maybe find a consistent pace. But seventh place again looked really kind of controlled and and in there, and then also Charlie Harrison. I mean, it's it's thirty second, but this guy was in surgery eight weeks ago and he's back racing, qualifying at a World Cup and putting in a 30-second place. So, yeah, both those guys, impressive, eh? Yeah, stoked for both of them. I mean, Luca always just looks so calm on the bike. Like, he almost looks like he's going slow and it, he makes it look so easy. And then he comes down and he's in seventh place and two seconds back. Like, it's it's crazy to watch him ride and then watch somebody else ride. They look 
they look like they're going twice as fast as Luca, and it's cool that he's able to do that. It's uh, I'm definitely like I think it's one of the coolest styles out there. And then yeah, for Charlie, it's so cool. He um he he was hurt, like you said, broke his arm pretty bad, had surgery. He's uh he's big on the ice bath, so he I think he put it down to um going in the ice bath every day that that accelerated the healing process for him. So cool to see him back and just a good building race. I think it was just a boat. And um, yeah, focusing more on the, I think snowshoes is his place where he's going to really shine this year. Excellent. And Elliot, talk a bit about Dan Slack. First year elite, <laughs> not even been racing downhill that long, I think, in the grand scheme. I think I'm right in saying he's an ex-motorbike trials rider, um, coached by Jack Reddin. But yeah, rocked up, put down an incredible qualifier and backed it up with a 10th place in, in finals in a stacked field. Yeah, man. Um, I'm glad you, you said that I wanted to mention him because um, I was just loving watching him, his name stay pinned to the top of the Rock Garden for the last couple of things. I, I think he ended up third or something like that in the Rock Garden. Uh, like you said, he's protege of, of Jack Redding and just a super, super nice guy. Like I, I was loving kind of watching that dynamic between those two throughout the weekend. And, you know, Jack just being so happy, uh, in the, in the pits, just come on boy, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think it's, uh, and another one of those things, right? Like where it's not easy. I think he was 16th maybe in, um, in qualifying. So as, when you get a result like that, it's um, it's one thing to be capable of a 10th place or a 16th place in finals, but to be able to execute it, a lot of things have to come come together, you know, mindset wise, like not making a mistake, not feeling too much pressure. You know, you're going down uh, the track uh, much later. I think this was probably his first time qualifying, I want to say. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's his first time on the live feed for sure. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think he's going to be a really, really good, good racer. I think that those are kind of like the marks that you see was like, Oh yeah. Mentally he's able to handle that mentally. He's able to ride that committed and not make a mistake. So he's, he's definitely talented and Jack's a great racer, great coach, great, um, kind of companion to have, uh, when you're at the races. So, yeah. Talking about commitment, somehow Brooke McDonald seemed to, for me anyway, look like he took it up another notch. Like I really enjoyed watching him all week and everything I saw. And then his race run was just, I mean, yeah, 15th and lit the whole way, really committed, quad over that that jump before the finish. Uh, I, yeah, if he keeps going like this, he's going to be on the podium or at the top step pretty soon by the looks of it. Yeah, so rad to see Brooke doing well again. It looks sick when he rides too. Like he just comes into those holes and pushes in with his feet as hard as he can. Like the bike is just crying underneath him, but it's, it's like pretty badass style that he has. And it's, he, he rides the most committed out of anybody out there. And, and especially what he's gone through the past two years with his back and surgery and everything, see him get back to being able to ride with that commitment is, is amazing. So yeah, I think more to come from the bulldog. Definitely. And then talking about commitment as well, Thibaut Duprella, always all in, uh, incredible result. Looked like he could challenge for the win, didn't quite come over. But is anyone else excited to see him on Val de Sol track for Worlds? <laughs> the, the crazy thing to me was 
he uh well i i mean i guess first of all like even in in um in qualifying he came across in second and was just like super happy I interviewed him and i was like why you you were you were super happy and he was like yeah of course i am i got second uh which was a big contrast to like somebody like loris or laurie who was like yeah it was a good run you know blah 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 um so i think this meant a lot to him in that like he could do it in the dry he could handle the pressure it's the first time everyone's on equal footing and then interviewed him after the race and he was like yeah now i can actually turn it on and i was like what do you mean you're like you that wasn't turned on he's like no no there's just like a little bit more like, he's like yeah i'm 20 years old so just you know i just push it and whatever what so it's like man that is he's got a unique mindset. <laughs> like I was kind of talking about how there's these, um, like the two things that happen is like when you're a junior, you don't know the consequences, but you accept the consequences. So you, that's why you see them just going wild. And then as you get more experience, you know, the consequences, but you don't accept them where you're just like, ah, like I saw this rock or this thing 10 years ago or, you know, two years ago and it can do the X, Y, and Z. Um, I should probably chill out. And he is one of the only people that I feel like I've seen that it, like knows the consequences and like accepts them where he's like, yeah, I, yeah, I could get super hurt. Um, but okay. All good <laughs> like, <laughs> like, for him to do that before Leger and then just come back and win. Like that is like some mental fortitude I feel like. And um, I don't know if maybe Amari kind of has that as well, but like, I think he's one of the only people that is not to say that that is the, the end all be all of mindsets, but like, I think that it, it is a unique mindset right now. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say Tebow and Amari look so similar on the bike. Not having Amari at the races, it's like a carbon copy of him out here on the same team. He's got monster helmet, like everything looks the same and he rides just as fast and committed. So I think it'll be super cool when they when Amari's back and the two of them can race together again. That'll make for an interesting dynamic. Definitely, definitely. Well, Elliot, we need to get you out of here so that you can uh, you can get some breakfast. But we'll just really quickly touch on the overalls. Um, Miriam and Cami, I think, tied in the women's now with a, a reasonable gap to Valley, but not massive. Um, so there's still all to play for there, I think. And then the men's Tebow's leads getting pretty sizable. But yeah, I guess he only really needs a bad weekend, and and it's doable for either Troy or or Greg there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was talking to um, talking to somebody after the race, and it's um, it's interesting that we we seem to forget about Troy so quickly uh, when you know he's had these like incredible races. He's he's super fast. He's second in the overall. Um, so it's yeah, I, yeah. I feel bad almost, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I think in the women's, it will be, it's kind of like the difference between, you know, Miriam, who's super experienced and Cammy, who's, who's not, but at the same time, Cammy rides like she's experienced and she doesn't ride over her head. She's super precise. So I, I don't think I could tell you who is going to take the overall there. Um, they both seem like they're riding incredibly well. Uh, and, you know, like Cammy said, 
she is excited to get past this track. But on the other hand, Miriam got a win, so now she's got that confidence. And uh, in the men's, I, I think it'll be, you know, it like you said, it is Tebos to to lose almost. Um, but can he keep pushing like that and make it through the rest of the season? There's a decent amount of races left. Um, not to say that he's out of control, but it, like it, it's just he's on the limit, right? Like. And you can be doing everything right and a rock can, you know, break loose or whatever. A berm can go away. You can have a mechanical, like all of these things can happen. So it's not just about, you know, am I going to make a mistake? But being at that limit makes all of that other stuff more likely as well. Do you think uh, he's a rider that could turn the wick down? Like if he's, if we've, if we're one or two races, like let's say he's got a good lead coming into snowshoe. Do you think he'll start thinking about the overall and, and turn it down? Or do you think he's always going to ride like that? I don't think he thinks about it like that. Like, I don't think that he is. And it's interesting talking to Thibaut Rufin, team manager. He's he's like, oh, no, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's super calculated and all of these things. So I, I think it's, um, yeah, like I said, it's it's not so much. He's not a rider that is taking risk um, in his mind, right? Like he's riding the way that he needs to ride and it, he knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, you have to know what you're doing to go that fast. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't really, I, it's unique. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's crazy, but, um, yeah, I got to get to breakfast, but also lit kit. I think it was a tie between teams this, this week for me, which was, uh, the GT team with yeah. kind of that, throwback and then the common salt team with that purple i thought that both of those were bloody awesome what about lit bike there was some interesting looking bikes kicking around some different finishes yeah i valleys was cool i thought valley had a really cool bike yeah what about reese's was the oh, was yeah, half the problem he was having with glare coming off the bike not off the <laughs> the dust and the, and the light in the trees yeah i think the truck team had some pretty sick bikes yeah Cool. Nice one. Cheers, man. Well, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll let you go and get some food and then we'll wrap up with Nico on some listener questions. Okay. All right. See you guys. See you, Elliot. All right. I'm back with, uh, with Nico for some listener questions. Uh, this is a pretty, pretty relevant one. So BK underscore Stansel wanted to know, is there an unknown up and coming us racer that people should know about? Man. Um, Chris Grice was the last one to really break through and, He's he's been riding super well. He had a tough weekend. I think he crashed in his run. Um, there's a kid from California, Ryan Pinkerton, that's really fast. I think he's 16, so he should be able to race next year. Um, so yeah, I think we'll see how he does. I've uh, I don't know him really well, but I've seen him at a couple races, and he he rides really well. Interesting. All right. John Boy Loren says, this is a two-part question. Is there any metric of your own performance that you place particular value on? Oh, um, man, I don't know if it's a measurable metric, but I like to feel like I am breaking in the right places and carrying exit speed through the turns. Like I feel like when you do that well, then the rest comes together and, uh, and you can build through the weekend and build speed but when it feels like you're not breaking in the right place and coming in too fast and blowing the turn. Um, it's, 
yeah, it's hard to get into a good rhythm. So I think just riding smooth and, and, and being able to be fast and aggressive, but still get your breaking point and get out of a turn, especially like just thinking of it this weekend with it being so dry and dusty, being able to do that was, uh, and be precise with it, even though the track is really loose. I think that's, um, a good thing you can do, but it's hard to, it's not really a metric you can measure. Um, oh yeah. This, I mean, maybe this answers part two then. Cause part two is, is there anything that you're currently not able to measure that you'd love to be able to track? Oh, right. Um, I think you sent me the questions and I, I, I found that one pretty interesting. Um, one, you know, I've had, um, a power meter on my bike. I've had, uh, some of the data systems have like a brake, uh, brake pressure sensor, mm-hmm. which I find pretty interesting as well. I haven't used actually the brake pressure sensor, but I would like to. Um, but one thing that I think would be cool is like almost like a power meter that measures the flex in your crank, how much Watts you're putting out to your pedal stroke. If there was something in the handlebar that could measure, cause like we were saying in the podcast on a track like this, you'd hardly pedal at all, but it's the most physical track. And I think Valdez Soul is the same way where like the most physical tracks out there, there's like not really a pedaling section. It's not like a sprint that's gassing you. It's the repetitive, relentless bumps that you're running over. So it'd be cool to see like if there's something in the grip or the bar that you could measure or, or even the crank as well, like through your feet, but not pedaling how much force you're putting through, like the bike's putting through you or you're putting through the bike. Um, in a situation that you're not sprinting. So it'd be cool to measure that and, and kind of see if maybe you could find something smoother that would be faster and less effort. Or, um, I don't know, sometimes you can measure a bunch of data that is hard to correlate and it's almost more confusing to have more data at times, but I think that would be interesting to see. Yeah. So I guess you could look at different lines and whether one line puts less force through you could look at different suspension settings i guess and and do the same thing so you could look to minimize those numbers is that kind of how you'd want to use it yeah i think two ways like you could definitely use it to ride better and set your bike up better but also maybe understanding it more you could train um if you're doing gym stuff or anything else off the bike and you could maybe find some stuff for cross training that would help you be able to to withstand those impacts a little better um yeah, it'd be cool to know what it looks like. Mm. It'd be pretty easy to do, I think, with the strain gauge on the bars. Don't know. Need to look into it. Mm. All right. Next question. Jakey Jakey Jam wants to know if Rick can find a good watermelon over in them parts. <laughs> Man, it would have been nice to have this past weekend. Um, <laughs> haven't haven't found one. I'm in Morsey now. Maybe I'll go to the shop and see if I can get one today. Yeah, watermelon on a hot day, pretty good. Man, a cold watermelon on a hot day is like the best. Have you tried vodka watermelon? Maybe not good for a race week, but you put a little funnel in the top of the watermelon and just keep topping it up with vodka until the whole thing's like absorbed into it and then eat the watermelon. I have tried that before (laughs) (laughs) and would agree it's not good on a race weekend. (laughs) Maybe on a Sunday after the race. Yeah, definitely. Post-race recovery it's a recovery product yeah <laughs> all right Sakalmas wants to know who's juicing by which i guess he means is there anything untoward going on in the world of downhill as far as performance enhancement 
I highly doubt it. I mean, they they test the top. I think it's the top three finishers and two randoms at every race. They test the overall leader at every race. So I don't I don't know if if there's anything that I mean. Guys are spending all their their resources on making the bikes better, and you know there's not a ton of money in downhill to like be able to have a doctor that's going to get you around drug testing and get you some drug that's going to make you faster. It's like maybe I'm naive, but I just don't think that that's really going on or or even going to help that much in, in in the sport that we're that we're in. Um, guys like it's if you had something that could like give you mental confidence maybe that would be a performance enhancing drug for downhill but i don't i don't know it's like um yeah maybe in years past there was some riders that have, that would have got busted for smoking weed or something but i don't think there's any but using any performance enhancing drugs yeah fair comment next one from cameron Rowe. what is your best guess as to why america doesn't have too many guys at the top lately debate that but yeah i think um it it goes in cycles and um in in years past we had really strong showings like 2018 i think was a really good year for um myself dakota charlie harrison luca aaron was winning races then um so we had we had a, a really strong like we had a couple races where five of us were in the top 15 which was pretty impressive um, but yeah, years past uh, or just th- this year and, and, um, last year, like I think injuries, um, riders just maybe being in a cycle where they're coming back from an injury or not on perfect form. Um, I think, uh, yeah, pretty much just say injuries like Aaron's hurt. Charlie's coming back from an injury. I've had injuries the past two or three seasons, um, Dakota's riding really well and, and Luca's riding really well. So, um, yeah, if, if ever, and, and we got some up and coming kids too. So I think, um, yeah, if we, if we can just all get healthy, then we'll be fast. Yeah. And Dakota got stuck out on uh COVID test. Couldn't get to this one, which is, uh, not a good way to go. Is he, have you spoken to him? Is he okay? Uh, I haven't spoken to him. I just found out about it while I was in Maribor and, and was just doing, it was kind of busy during the weekend, but I mean, it's a, it's a bummer. It was bound to happen to somebody, but what can you do? Like, it's not like you're injured or there was something you could prevent. Like you just happened to test positive for COVID and all you can do is say like, well, I'm just going to stay home and not get anybody else sick until I'm recovered and then come back and race. Like it's, I don't think anybody's holding it against you that you got COVID. So it's just a, yeah, unlucky, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Next question from Yoda Kaff. What did your parents do early to support your career or ambition that other parents can learn from? It's a good question. Yeah, I think I was super lucky that my my parents took me to a lot of bike races. And it was me wanting to go. I would like go online and print out a schedule of, of all the races that were near my house and ask if we could go to these and try to convinced my dad to take me to more races and um in the beginning it was with bmx uh, i wasn't super good at bmx but at a regional level i was in the state that i lived i was pretty competitive and 
really enjoyed racing and wanted to go to do as many as I could. And I remember cutting grass all summer to try to pitch in money to go to, um, a race that was 10 hours away. And, and I didn't really thinking back, like me getting an extra 20 or or 50 bucks to help really didn't make much of a difference, but I think it just showed that I was committed and that I was the one that wanted to go and was asking to go do those events, not the other way around. And I think that was, um, it was just cool that they were supportive and like, yeah, we'll, we'll take you. Like if, if there's something that, that I asked for that I needed, they would try to provide it if they could, but it wasn't them pushing me or, or them telling me that I needed to do this or train or do that. It was like me convincing my parents that I really wanted to go to these races and them, them, uh, being able to support it and, and take me to the ones that I asked I wanted to go to. And then, um, and then when I started racing downhill, it was pretty similar. My, um, down, downhill is a lot more expensive than racing BMX. BMX, you can just go for the day and the bikes are cheap. And, um, normally you just, if, if it is a weekend race, you can stay in a cheap hotel, but going to a ski resort and staying for the weekend. And normally they're, they're further away as well. Like the bikes are expensive. It's a lot more to, to go to race downhill. And, uh, my dad actually, this is an interesting story. I'm super glad that he did this to support me. He took a job as a, as a demo rep for Rocky mountain. And that way he could expense going to the events and he would go there with, uh, with demo bikes and have them for people to ride. And, um, and we would actually, I, I would race the demo bike too. So he didn't have to buy it. Um, I think after like two years, they kind of figured it out and he got fired, but it was cool that he was like willing to just like, yeah, well, like, let's try this. Like I can't afford to go to 20 downhill races in the region this summer, but if I take this job as a demo rep, then we can probably expense most of it. And, uh, and that got me to the, like, whatever the case, like maybe it's, uh, not the most ethical, but, uh, he got me to the race and I had a bike and we got to go to a bunch of events and just get a bunch of starts was, was really gave me a, a lot of experience, I think. And, and just, yeah, racing a ton made it less, daunting each time and you kind of refine the process and we're able to like get into the right mindsets before the races and without having a lot of races to do it's hard to practice that and you know you always feel like you do stuff better after the race and just having the chance that my dad took me to races almost every weekend i i quickly like refined what i wanted to do on the bike and and my race process and i think that helped a lot Awesome. That's cool. I didn't know that. I love the fact that he did that. It uh, shows a level of commitment to to helping you out and getting you where you wanted to be. For sure. Awesome. Right. Last question. Kate underscore mate. Do you think Downhill will ever be in the Olympics? And if so, do you think it would be good for the sport? I don't know. I, um, I'd heard that the Olympics, and I, and I don't know a ton of this to be completely 100% true so I don't want to put a ton out there I don't know a lot about how the Olympics work but I think there's only a certain amount of athletes that are allowed to go and when they add sports they have to take away other events and I think like cycling like the UCI is um is the governing body 
that the the Olympics reports and communicates with for cycling. So if if they were going to add events, the UCI would have to take away other events, and it's difficult to um, take away other stuff. And like they've done that a little bit. They added BMX freestyle. I don't know what they took away or if that was the chance. If that was the case, but um, I think downhill. It, of course, it would be super cool if it was in the Olympics, but it's almost so different from all the other forms of cycling where like we're almost more in line with motorsport where we're a lot of the teams are private. We get a lot of our funding from sponsors. We get um, we try to create a value proposition that we're advertising and influencing brands in exchange for the funding we need to race where a lot of Olympic sports get money from the government or from uh, like Olympic funding so that they can train and, and be an athlete. And, and, and a lot of those sports as well, like they, they might have like some endorsements personally, the, the athletes, but they're not always using products that they're trying to sell. Whereas most of what we are sponsored by in downhill is like, I ride this bike with these parts and I'm able to get good results on it. And I think it's a great bike and you should go buy one too. And the Olympics takes away a lot of that. Um, you're not allowed to have like big logos on things. Like I think the bike, they, they really limit the logo sizes. Obviously you don't see any Red Bull helmets in the Olympics. Um, everything's like, like they don't want it to be about advertising, which in some ways is cool. But I think like our sport is just, it's more in line, like I said, with motorsports or like X games and stuff like that, where we, we get a lot of our funding through promoting our sponsors and the X game or the, uh, the Olympics would take, take a lot of that away. And, um, and I've heard people say too, that like, there's too much technology in the bikes where most Olympic sports, you don't see them using equipment that gives an advantage one way or the other, um, that someone could have a distinct advantage over another person who doesn't have access to that equipment. So I don't know if that's the case either. But um, I guess I guess what I would come back to is that I don't think it's necessary, and I think downhill is doing just fine without it. But of course, it'd be cool if um, if it was in the Olympics. Yeah, nice one, cool. Well, that's uh, that's it for listener questions. What uh, what are you up to now? Is there much kind of like rehab type stuff? What are you doing with your body to try and you know ease off all the the bruising and the injuries that you've got to get back on the bike and get up to speed for for worlds? Yeah, so I've got an appointment to go to a, a physio here in Morzine tomorrow and I'm um, going to try to get in a couple times this week. But really, it just feels like somebody hit me in the back with a baseball bat. Like my lower back muscles are just really bruised. And I went to see Laura, the Santa Cruz physio, right after I crashed. Um, those guys had gone up for their race run and she was in the pit. So she put me on her massage table and like just kind of check stuff out and and thought that it was i didn't need to go to the hospital she said if it was feeling bad in a couple of days definitely go get it checked but um for what she could tell it seemed like just some bad bruising and um and the muscle just kind of feels like it wants to spasm in my back when when it's engaged like standing up from sitting down is like pretty tough thing like i have to think about like engaging my my abs and my core muscles to just stand up out of a chair because it's pretty sore. But, um, yeah, my plan is to just take it super easy. Try not to do anything that's going to stress it out the next couple of days. 
sleep a lot probably um maybe take take charlie harrison's tip and do some hot colds there's a really cold river in morzine that the water was probably snow a couple hours ago so maybe go lay down in there and um yeah just try to get some increase some blood flow and just eat well and rest and sleep and hopefully it's nothing serious wrong uh if it's bad in a couple of days, I'll go over here to the, there's a good sports hospital in Morzine. I'll go get it checked again, but just want to try to feel good. I, I was hoping to come here and train and ride and get some bike time, but now I just want to get my body to feel like it's good again next week. I've got a whole week till I need to do track walk at world. So I think I can make some good progress. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, yeah, wishing you a speedy recovery. Hopefully all the bruising sorts itself out and everything eases off for you and you can get back on a bike soon and yeah, be ready for worlds. But thanks for taking the time for some listener questions and for, for chatting all things Maribor as always super interesting and yeah, we'll catch you in a, in a couple of weeks for worlds. Cool, man. Yeah. Thanks. Pleasure to do it. All right. That's it for this episode with Elliot and Nico. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to we are one composites for supporting this episode of the show. Downtime listeners get 15% off We Are One rims for the month of August using the code WESUPPLY2021 over at the checkout on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over at weareonecomposites.com. While you're there, you can also check out their incredible new bike, The Arrival. There's just one more thing left for you to do, and that's to head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and your email address to make sure you get a chance to get hold of the first issue of Downtime EP. We've got early bird deals going live really soon, so make sure you don't miss out. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can get your hands on our full range of merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All proceeds go to help improving the show. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, then there's a few ways you can help me out. First off, tell your rider mates about the podcast because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going and bring in new episodes every week. Secondly, share the episodes on your social media. It's an awesome way to spread the word and it gets some buzz going around the episodes too. And then if you fancy it and you've got an extra bit of time, leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. I know it sounds like a strange request, but it really does help people find the show. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon, but until then, get out and ride.